Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Um, so two weeks ago, I think, was a, was a seminal moment uh, when pastors shared on the 1st of October, I think it was. Um, and then Elder Jedi prayed and a few of us shared different things. Um, and I don't know how many of you make a habit of going over things that were shared in the service, whether it be via the podcast, Spotify, Apple Music, whichever one you use, um, or maybe your own notes. I know some of you uh, record on the services and whatnot. But it's a good habit to have um, just to really allow the word to settle in your heart. And actually, what what has been happening recently is that there's little pockets. Actually, I say recently, for the past two, three years, there's little pockets in every message that leads into the next one. And actually, sometimes it's a bit of a challenge to find the pocket and find the thread. Um, but oftentimes, someone will say something and then I'll be like, oh, that's in my notes. And then Elder Deji would say something like, oh, wow, that wasn't in my notes, but it probably should have been. Um, and then Pastor Rod will say something and it's just like, wow, it's all coming together. Um, and when you then look back and listen back to a month's worth or two months' worth of messages, you'll kind of hear this underlying theme start to emerge. Now, I don't know what the current theme is. I believe it shifted um, two weeks ago. I don't know exactly what it is, but there is something significant about October, November, December for this church. That's all I've been told. Um, whether that's reference to a building, whether that's reference to numbers, whether it's reference to financial breakthrough, um, I haven't got the, the, the full picture, but I just know that October, November, December, the Lord really has put that in my heart that we should be aware. And for those that were on the call on Wednesday, and we talked about being branded. We talked about what that meant to have an encounter with God like Jacob did uh, when he wrestled. And from that day forth, he was branded. He had the, the, the mark of his encounter. And um, it's interesting because the Lord himself has the mark of his passion, doesn't he? He has those scars still. And that when I was praying this morning, um, that was the one thing that kept coming to me, that there is a man in heaven with scars. You know, there are no other wounds. There are no other tears or anything but there is a man in heaven with scars and wounds forevermore you know by choice i believe he's he's made it that those wounds will never heal as it were and when we see him we will see and be able to place our finger in his wounds as did thomas um and if you think about the story of thomas the the encounter with christ the wounded yet resurrected christ was so profound that Thomas, out of all the disciples, went east when everyone else went west. Um, this is why often I refer to him as my favourite disciple, just because of his story, the fact that he showed up to church, even though he was disappointed, disillusioned and, and whatnot. But that next encounter, that encounter with the man, the resurrected Christ, who still has those scars, is a connection for us. And isn't it true of us that, you know, we go through things in life, we go through things in the ministry, we go through things as families, as communities, um, as a world, as a globe, you know, at the moment, of everything that's going on across the world, not just in the Middle East. We know that there was always this, this point where it comes to an end and then it's like, what next? And when I was here two weeks ago, the Lord literally just said to me three words, said, after war, rest. After war, comma, rest. 
And that's the title of my, my sermon, After War, Rest. And I thought that was peculiar because I, I almost wanted to correct the Holy Spirit. It's a little thing we do every so often where he says something and I think he's got it wrong. And so I challenge him and then he says, no, 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 it was right the first time. So he said, after war, rest. And I went, don't you mean peace? He said, no, rest. And I almost went, are you, are you sure? And he began to explain to me why he wanted to use the word rest. The first scripture I want to go to is Isaiah 2, 3 to 4. <coughs> Verse 3, it says, And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4, And he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. There is a time coming where war will be a thing of the past. There's a time coming where we will beat our swords into plowshares, where we go from war to harvest. We go from war to harvest and nations shall not lift up sword against any other nation. So we can we can read these scriptures and we believe we put them in a in a place and in a time scale outside of ourselves often. We say this is an end time promise or this is something that is beyond me. I may not live to see this day but we will shout about it and maybe put it into a song every so often when we want to have that kind of mindset. But I believe there is often even in you know the Jesus said it in John 4 then he? he said the time is coming indeed it is now. And when you start to actually understand the reality of eternal life, which we spoke about last time I was here, you realise that actually it's not for us to always think that this, these things are going to happen in a thousand years or in 500 years. But actually with every promise of God, there is a here to come and a now. I'm going to say that again. With every promise of God, there is a it is on the way and also there is a now. So I can appropriate and I'm going to use my own example and say I am the healed of the Lord. Because I am. Yeah. It doesn't matter what my body is telling me. I am the healed of the Lord. Yeah. There is a, it is coming, indeed it is now. Yeah. And that's what faith begins to move you into, that realisation that it is also now. Mm. You know, now faith is. Faith is now. You know, if you went to any prosperity church over the past 20 years, you know, you heard that. Um, nothing against them. It's just one of those phrases. So we have this situation here where the swords have been beaten into plowshares. Do you know what that means? That means it can't go back. Once we go from sword to plowshare, you can't go from plowshare to sword. Doesn't look the same. It's not. It's not like I'm just using the sword in, a, in its in a different capacity, but the same shape. I'm actually moving it from one purpose to a completely separate purpose. It indicates a shifting of a season, a shifting into a different moment for which now a sword is rendered obsolete. Because if I'm going into harvest, there's no point in me having a sword. But how many of us have gone into a time of harvest and we still got our sword in our hand? And we're wondering why we can't get the crop. <laughs> and the crop's looking at us like, dude, 
What's going on? We're trying to make these promises God manifest in our life. But we're going in with our sword and it's like, just come, just plowshare, man. I'm not a green finger, as you know. But I know the difference between the sword and the plowshare. I know if you were to give one into my hand, I'd be like, okay, if you put a sword in I remember I had this vision. Uh, this is probably about 15 years ago. I'd gone through this time and actually my mum said to me, she said, Dave, why don't you just take, take a break? And, um, cause I, I'd been, I was burnt out. I was doing all these events and, and gigs and whatnot, all in church. I was doing all this stuff. And I'd got to a point where I was just exhausted. And I was like, why don't you take a break? And I was, I was fighting it. You know, I said, like, no, no, the Lord has called me to do X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. Take a break. I eventually listened. I took a break. I cancelled everything for three months, I think it was. Um, this is 2009. I cancelled everything for three months. I pulled out of every gig, said to my, my, my friends I was in the choirs with and, and all the bands, guys, I'm not around, I'm just going to take a bit of time. And I'll never forget, in the first week of that break, I, um, I had a vision of myself in heaven. I was on the operating table and the Lord was standing there. And I was battered and bruised, covered in blood. A bit like um, Gladiator. Have you seen Gladiator? Just absolute mess. And it shocked me. I said, Lord, but I thought I was doing what you asked me to do. He said, no, you weren't. You were just running off in your own direction. I was in all this church stuff. I was, every time someone called me, hey, could you play on Friday? Could you do Holy Convocation Leicester? Could you do New Testament Church of God Lee? Could you do all these different places I was going? Sheffield, Manchester, we were going all over the place. Two, three gigs in the night sometimes. And he said, that's not me. You're not actually asking me before you take these things on. So life had whacked me upside my head. And I was there in heaven and he's there. And I remember seeing him in the surgeon's gown and he's just tending to me. And the only thing I had left, and I'll never forget, the only thing I had was sandals. Like, you know, them old <laughs> Roman sandals? Because I always see myself in, in Roman attire. I don't know what it is, it's between me and God. God. I have a thing for ancient history. I love ancient history. So God always speaks to me through, I'm being here, God speaks to me through. For some of you, it'll be gardening. It's definitely not me, okay? <laughs> I had a little bit of judgment come back there. I was like, who do you think you are? Listen, this is him. I'm not asking for this picture. So I had these greaves. You know what greaves are? They, they cover the shin area and I had these sandals. These old ancient sandals. And I said, Lord, what's up? He said, you just about have enough strength to walk. And in the corner of this, this medic area, this surgery, I saw this, this, I remember seeing this shield and this sword you know, battered and, and mangled. I don't even know why I'm sharing this because it wasn't in my notes, but the Lord said, hey, let's go. And I remember the next time, th about three months later, after having taken time out and whatnot, I went back to the same vision. The Lord took me right back to the same surgery. And this time I'm standing and I'm clothed. And I had this new armor on. And the last thing I had to take was a sword. I'll never forget, he put a sword in my hand. And I went like this. I remember, because when you get a sword, just in case you didn't know, ancient history, you have to feel the weight of the sword. You have to just outstretch your hand and catch the weight so then you know how to swing. There's a, there's a message in there. Because some of us have a sword, but we don't know how to swing it. Anyway, <laughs> so I outstretched my hand and he puts the sword into my hand. 
and I remember in the dream I start going and just catching the weight of it trying to feel the upward and the downward stroke the thrust <laughs> it was a very good vision man Lord take me back <laughs> and he said Dave I'm, I'm, well he didn't say Dave he was probably Dave called me son he said son I'm giving you a new sword and I'm going to teach you how to fight that was that era now if I went into the dream and I saw a plowshare in my hand I wouldn't be going that, that would be pointless there's a different use there's a different moment if I saw myself dressed as a farmer I would be very shocked but <laughs> but if he showed me that I would say okay Jesus let's go teach me everything you know <laughs> okay it's like the disciples he said you were fishes of, of fish but now fishes of men that looks a little bit different. There's some similarities, there's some aspects to it which may cross over, but it's a shift of mentality, it's a shift of ideas. If we are to move into our new moment, whatever this moment is, I'm not gonna call it a season, but let's call it a moment. If we are to move into this new moment, we have to learn to identify what tools we need for the next, which is different to the now. Because it would be foolish of us to go into the next, still with our swords when God is saying, I want you to go into harvest. Because then actually it renders obsolete the, the, the impact of the next and we'll just be frustrated. Let's go to Hebrews 4. So it says to me, after war, rest. Okay. Now we all know Hebrews 4, well, if you've been around church for a little while, you know, it speaks of Verse 1, we're going to go from 1 to 11 and we're going to stop at different points. So therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still holds and is offered today, let us be afraid to distrust it, lest any of you should think he has come too late and has come short of reaching it. For indeed, we have had the glad tidings, gospel of God, proclaimed to us just as truly as they, the Israelites of old, did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. Notice this, guys. So look, it says that we have had that same message, the gospel of God, the, the revelation of his goodness and his love has been preached to us in the same way as preached to the Israelites. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith. So it is possible to hear the gospel of God and it not be of any benefit. But my Bible tells me it's the power of God unto salvation. If a man believes in his heart and, you know. What did Jesus say? I think it's Jesus says, um, your traditions render the word of God to no effect. The word of God is powerful. We see it later on in, in, in chapter four. So it's about it being the double-edged sword. There we go, sword again. And it is powerful and it, and it, can, it can change your life. It can, it can do all these things but yet there are certain elements, there are certain conditions that the word of God can be placed in where it is of no benefit. Now it doesn't say minimal benefit, it says it was of no benefit. So this was the good news of deliverance from bondage, right? So God somehow through his prophets and whatever is coming to them and saying, look, I can give you freedom from bondage. And actually, if you look at the context from chapter 3, this is when they were outside, they had already left Egypt. So it wasn't physical bondage we're talking about. 
okay? They had already moved and left Egypt, so they're now physically free. And God says there is still a more there's still more deliverance from bondage I can offer. And they turn around, and because it wasn't mixed with faith, it was of no benefit to them. So you can leave bondage, you can leave war, and enter this space, and yet still the word of God be of no benefit. And look at look how it defines faith. We've talked about this before, Denise and I. It says, with the leaning of the entire personality in God and absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom and goodness. In other parts of the Amphite, says the lean of the entire human personality. Okay? It's, it's one of those things where every single iota within you leans on him in absolute trust and confidence. In what? His power, his ability to do it. His wisdom, his decision-making, his goodness, his desire to do it. Say it again. Say it again. Yes, ma'am. His power, right? His ability to do it. His wisdom, it's a decision-making, it's timing. His goodness, his desire to do it. You remember the story when, uh, I think it was a leper, that said, Lord, if you are willing and able. See, the question is not, like, we're pretty good at knowing that he is, able to deliver us mm. but sometimes the question that we that like we, we we have to press through is whether he wants to and this is why the revelation of his goodness is so important because you cannot have power without goodness because power outside of goodness leads to corruption we see that in the world so you have to have a revelation of his goodness and this is why i remember one time in my prayer time the lord said to me all healing stems from my goodness he said if you want to be and more proficient in healing the sick, you have to become more proficient in the revelation of my goodness. Mm-hmm. So now when I pray for the sick, I very rarely actually talk about the sickness, but I make sure verbally, even just when I'm talking to the individual, I'm just like, do you know how good God is? Do you know how much he loves you? God loves you so much. Mm-hmm. Right, let's pray. And we set the table because everything he does is because he is good. Yeah. Everything he does is because he is love. Mm-hmm. He heals, he delivers because he is first love. So when we're looking at, when we're leaning our entire personality, it's not enough just to trust in his power. Because you could be one of those people that say, yep, he's got me, he's able to do this. He is actually, because he's God, he's able to give us a building even if we had zero pounds in in the bank. But then you could be there in your prayer time on Wednesday and you're like, but maybe he's got his timing off. Maybe he... Maybe he doesn't want to yet because... And you start entering into false theology, poor theology, because your faith hasn't extended from power to wisdom and to goodness. So their faith wasn't mixed... So the message wasn't mixed with faith by those who heard it. Neither were they united in faith with the ones Joshua and Caleb who heard and did believe. And that's also sometimes what happened. Sometimes you have a situation where there's two or three or maybe 400 amongst you who believe and God's saying, just attach yourself to them. Just, just latch on. Pastor's been saying X, Y, Z for the past 10 years. Just latch on. I know you may not believe yet. Lord, help me with my unbelief. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. It's okay. Just latch on. Just find some way to get connected to someone who has the lean of the entire human personality and absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom and goodness. 
if you find someone like that, get, get around them, talk to them. I remember a situation we had in our first year of marriage where I was in faith and she wasn't, but she was honest with me and said, no, I don't see it, but I'm going to trust you. And six weeks later, we, the situation <coughs> alleviated and God ma managed to bring us through. And now Denise has that and in her, in her back pocket as an evidence, okay, now I might believe the next time it comes up. Do you know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so we get to this point where sometimes by collective, uh, the collective kind of resilience amongst us all where, and this is why testimony is so important, this is why our songs are so important, because when I hear DeAndre talk about X, Y, Z and the situation he had at work where God came in and, and delivered him, I then go, ooh, well, if we could do it for you, he must be able to do it for me. Why? Because I have no question about his goodness. And then Tommy comes up and says, hey, I just got a phone call from an old friend. They were battling with cancer and this is what happened. The Lord delivered. Wow, if he could do it for him, he can do it for her. And then Jonathan comes up and says, you know, I was talking about that situation at the school. The wisdom of God really showed up and here I am. And then I'm like, wow. So now I've got three arrows in my quiver. I think we're long overdue a testimony service. <laughs> now I've got more arrows in my quiver. Because everyone's sitting here with these stories and tales of his goodness, of his power, his wisdom, his goodness, and we should be freely sharing them with, amongst each other. I know we do. I'm not saying we don't. I'm sure you, you have your top five people that you text. I might not be on there. No offence. It's okay. <laughs> Oh, man, it's fine. As long as you have someone. <laughs> but no, what I mean, it's that sharing. So that when the message is preached to us, it can be mixed with faith. Amen. For we who have believed, this is verse three, adhere to and trust in and relied on God, do enter that rest. And the corners with his declaration that those who did not believe should not enter when he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And this he said, Although his works have been completed and prepared and waiting for all who would believe from the foundation of the world. I am going to begin to explain what I mean by rest in a little bit. For in a certain place he has said this about the seventh day and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And they, this is speaking about the Israelites who didn't believe, they forfeited their part in it. For in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. I want you to jump down to verse 7. He says, again, he sets a definite day, a new today. Everyone say today. today. And he gives another opportunity of securing that rest. Saying through David after so long a time, and the words already quoted, today if you would hear his voice, and when you hear it, do not harden your hearts. Okay, so it's like, listen, Israelites missed it the first time. Then it comes to David, and David says, yo, the word of God is going forth. Do not harden your hearts. This is the second time now. Verse 8 is incredible. It says, the, This mention of a rest was not a reference to their entering into Canaan. For if Joshua had given them rest, he, God, would not speak afterward about another day. What does that mean? We immediately assume that because the Israelites got over the um, river Jericho, got into Canaan, received their promise that they entered into rest. But they didn't. Because if they did, if Joshua had been able to give it to them, David wouldn't have had to have said, guys, the word is going again. We've got another opportunity. Does that make sense? <coughs> Do I need to explain it one more time? Yeah. So, um, 
And this is why it's key. This is why he said, after war, rest. What did the Israelites find? They found peace. They didn't necessarily find rest. After war, they ended up in the land of promise and they had peace. But they didn't have rest. Because they weren't mixing the word that they were hearing with faith. So there is a land beyond peace. There is a state of being beyond just peace. Because sometimes when the enemy shuts up, I have peace. But then when he pipes up again, I realize I wasn't really in faith. How do we know they didn't have rest? And they weren't in, because basically the, the indicator for whether you're in rest or not is how much faith you're expounding. And you're, remember, faith is the entire leaning, the leaning of the entire human personality and absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom and goodness. We know that they weren't leaning everything on him and absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom and goodness, because if we did, we wouldn't have the book of Judges. Because time and time again, they didn't lean everything on him, they tried Baal, Astoloth, all the other ones. They turned to all these other gods. They turned to all these other practices. That tells me that they weren't leaning everything on him. They had peace, but they obviously didn't have rest, because if they did, they wouldn't have had to turn to any other god. The challenge for us in this new moment is to ensure, and there's a sobering one, and is when we move into this new, let's, look at, let's talk about it as a building. When we move into a new building, we may have peace. But where's your faith? And it's very easy for your faith then to be in the building. Well, now that we've got that secured, now our church is going to grow. Because now we have a fixed location, people have something they can allow, you know, Man still looks on the outward. Well, there's a sign. There's, you know, I know which station I'm going to, which day. I know what time it starts. Service one, service two. There's this, there's that. There's community group. There's midweek. I've got this tangible. I can feel it right now. So we're here. We're the 30, we're the 40 who made it through the pandemic. And then 10 people added and 100 people added and And our numbers begin to grow and we begin to get fat off our own prosperity. And we look around and say, aren't we doing so well here? This building has really transformed our church. Whoa. You understand what peace sounds like. Yeah. But rest turns around and says, Father, even if 150,000 people showed up at the door on that first Sunday, it is all because of you. Yeah. I learned this in my life and my finances. I work at a school which is very wealthy. And as the years have gone on, they have rewarded me for my efforts. Handsomely. Great, thank you. We used to pray a prayer when we didn't have money. <laughs> when money was less. Not when we didn't have money, but there was less money in the kitty. We used to pray a prayer and it was simple. It said, Lord, when we, whether we have or have not, you are our provider. So that was in our first two years marriage, whatever. I remember I went part-time for one year thinking I was going to take on all this extra music work and I didn't. I didn't come, no, no, no more work. And halfway through the year, I said, Lord, this was your, you told me to go part-time and I thought it was because I was going to get more work. What's going on? Let's, how are you going to make up the gap? He said to me, he said, the problem is your faith was in your check on the 24th of every month and not me. So he had to, cut the check for a little while to bring me to my senses. So then when I went back into full-time work and I actually had a promotion when I walked back in, 
So I didn't go back to the role that I had. I went back to a promotion. I then was on more money than I ever had before, but now I'm in rest. Because now when it comes to my finances, I don't, it's not the 24th that I have faith in. It's very easy in the situation I'm in, when the check is of a sufficient number, to just be like, well, it's fine. The 24th will take care of me. But it's Jehovah Jireh. I remember Pastor Ross said this years ago, and I always think about it. It's not the prayer of the losing team I want to hear. It's the prayer of the team that wins. It's the team that wins who still kneel down and say, Father, we give you thanks for giving us the victory today. We thank you that even though we were the overwhelming favourites, you still gave into our hands the victory in this situation. It's when David, who's already beaten the Philistines the day before, turns around the next day when the same Philistines turn up and instead of relying on his own strength, he says, Lord, shall I go up? Will you give them to me? That's what rest sounds like. Because in a time of peace, it's very easy just to be like, of course, I've beaten you before. I've been beating you since I was 17 years old. I took out Goliath. My men took out his brothers. There's no more giants in Philistia or whatever it is. Like, I'm David. Do you not know who I am? And in a time of peace, we'll see this a little bit later when we get to Bathsheba. But anyway, in a time of peace, in his own strength, you could turn around and say, well, yeah, I, I can take these guys out. I dealt with you yesterday. But rest says, lean your entire human personality in trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. Uh, verse 9. So then there is still awaiting a full and complete Sabbath rest reserved for the true people of God. This is why Israel's in the state that it's in at the moment, because when the Messiah turned up, the faith that they had all along met a dead end. So they might have had peace, but they didn't have rest. Because the promise, as it was preached to them through the life of Jesus Christ, they didn't mix it with faith. So they didn't receive the Savior in their midst, because we know we receive Christ by faith, right? Mm -hmm. Verse 10, For he who has once entered God's rest has also ceased from the weariness and pain of human labours, just as God rested from those labours, peculiarly his own. Anyone want to have the weariness and pain of human labours cease? What does that look like? That looks like when you're in that dead-end job with that dead-end boss, you really don't like whether the paycheck which does, is not adequate enough for the life you're trying to live, it's not adequate for the amount of work you're putting in, and yet still you have that smile on your face. You have that joy unspeakable on the inside. Because you realise it was never about the boss, it was never about the job, it was always about Jaira. And as long as Jaira's on the throne, I'm okay. And I can extend my faith in Jaira more than I extend it in anyone. I always tell people, when I go for a job promotion, I, I, I hope they realise it is an unfair advantage when I'm involved. Because there is only one voice that can say yes or no, and it's not the voice of the person interviewing me. Only God can decide. Amen. Let me say it again. Only God can decide. Amen. So when I step into that room, if I don't get it, it's because the Father in heaven has said this is not my time for that role. Fine. I'm okay with that. Why? Because I have absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. So I, I you know, <laughs> the amount of times I'm putting, are you feeling a little bit stressed about? I said, no, no, no. Oh, it's not the headmaster that decides whether I've 
No, 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 it's not him. I'm waiting for God to tell me. He'll reveal whether the door's open or not. So I just knock on every door. Doot, doot. That one's not open. Cool. Next one. Doot, doot. And then I don't get, I don't have this weariness and pain. You know when you've tried five times for a role? You know, I, I, I work with people who try multiple times for and they get this weariness, this, this, this discontent that sets in. I don't have that on me. I've brushed the dirt off my, my sandals and I've moved on to the next one and I go, right, knock, knock. That's not open? Cool, fine. And then finally, three, four years later, I didn't realise why it wasn't open. There's one role I went into, I'm not even going to give too much detail, but trust me, I thought it was this and it really, really wasn't. And to this day, and I know the person who got it, I wish him well. To this day, I thank God that I didn't get that role. <laughs> I'm telling you, because it, where I, th I went in there with my vision and pitch, duh, 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 this is what I would do if you give me this role. And I had all these ideas. And not one of them would have been allowed to, to, to come to fruition. But at the time, oh, you didn't get it. Oh, sorry. No. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Why would I not be? Well, that's a big role, isn't it? It's a massive... <laughs> I know, but God said no. I'm all right with that. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, if and I always say this to my, my colleagues: if He is who He says He is, then He's good. I'm all right. All things work together for the good of those who love Him. It's an unfair advantage. Verse eleven: Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligent, diligently to enter that rest of God to know and experience it for ourselves that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. The Lord's moving us into a new moment. He has now shifted us. And here's the challenge. Let us, Commonwealth, be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest. How do we do that? We lean our entire human personality in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. It is not because we have a fantastic worship team. That is not why the sick are healed. It is not because we write some great chart-topping, platinum-selling songs. Amen. Lord, amen. Right. It's not because of that. The reason why those the songs will have an impact. They will. They're good songs. Refuge is a very good song. Yes, yes, yes. Okay? These songs will have an impact. They will chart, they will do this, whatever. Great, fantastic. But my faith is not in that. Yeah. I don't need to see the numbers for me to say that this has been a successful. Mm. All I need to see is someone jump out of a wheelchair and I go, yeah. whew, that's it. That's the, that's the marker for my faith. My faith is not in numbers. My faith is in transformed lives. My faith is in marriages being brought together. My faith is in the sick being healed. My faith is in the lost being found. My faith is in those who need saving being saved. That's where, my, that's where I've extended my faith. Now, if along the way I get some numbers, that's cool. Whatever. And we'll have a party when we get to a thousand subscribers and a million subscribers and all these things. But the earth's way of defining success is never going to be mine. Because if it was, then the Israelites entering into a land and taking it over within one generation, that would be success. But God says there was more for them. They were in the land of promise. Let me tell you this way. They were in their new building. 
and they still didn't have the fullness of what God had wanted for them. So what was the journey through the 40 years about? Because remember it says here that because they didn't believe it in Joshua, he had to take them through the wilderness. The 40 years wasn't about just getting them into a land. It was getting them into a state where they would have faith, where they would believe totally. Why? Because they had spent 400 years in amongst the other gods of Egypt. Which is why at the very first opportunity, the first thing they ran back to was a golden calf that they had seen. What they say? Make me a god like the ones we saw in Egypt. This was, if you read it, it was after the thunder and lightning. They just seen Jesus and God on the cloud and whatever. And they still went, oh, nope, I need something I recognize because I have more faith in that than I do this voice which I haven't heard for 400 years. The whole journey we've been on from losing the building to where we're at now and going to inherit a building in the next few months, this whole journey has not just been about us just learning how to do church on the go. That's all well and good. It's not just been about testing us as the numbers have decreased. Can we still keep our intensity up? That's all well and good. It's when we get to the River Jordan, I think we're here now, that we can look at Jericho and say we are in full faith. So much so that if the Lord told us to walk around in silence, instead of believing it as slaves, we believe it as sons and we'd say yes. That was part one. Second Samuel 7. Second Samuel 7. Um, start with verse 1. Yeah. Trying to remember how far I'm going to go down this one. Thank you, Father. It says, when King David dwelt in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. That night, the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, shall you build me a house in which to dwell? For I have not dwelt in the house since I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day, but I have moved about with a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the Israelites, did I speak a word to any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to be shepherd of my people Israel, asking, why do you not build me a house of cedar? Now look at this. This is what he says to David. Now say this to my servant David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel. And I was with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like that of the great men of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and be moved no more. And wicked men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And as from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and as from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will cause you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord declares to you that he will make for you a house. So David has this great idea. He's seated. So it says here, when King David dwelt in this house, verse 1, another translation says, he was seated in this house, 
and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Who had given him rest? The Lord. Now, if rest is indicative of, let's call it full faith, full fat faith, yeah? <laughs> if it's indicative of, of a man being in the lean of the entire human personality and absolute trust and confidence and power, wisdom and goodness, that's where David is at. So because David is at that place, the Lord has given him rest from all his enemies. And the first thing David wants to do is get busy. He's in this place of rest and he goes, right, I need to build. And God says, later, you don't need to do that. I will take care of the building side of things. But what happens when you enter into a place of rest? It's not time to build, it's time to inherit a new promise. Why? David was, David had existed from Samuel, when Samuel anointed him, till now of the promise of you will one day be king. So when David was hiding with the Philistines, when David was in the caves of Adullam, when David was doing all this stuff, when he was on the run from Saul, when, you know, spears getting thrown at him, all this stuff, he was sustained by this promise, you will one day be king. And then David becomes king. So God comes to him and says, right, you're now king and you're, you're seated. Right, we're going to talk about what it means to be seated in a minute. You're now seated. So now I need to give you a new promise. Because your next moment in your life is going to be shaped by this new promise. So before we start talking about building programs, do we have a promise? CCF. Before we're talking about going into new buildings and doing this and, oh, I think I might be called for, you know, evangelism ministry and I might be called for a Monday morning breakfast team ministry or whatever. Before we start coming up with all those plans and laying down all this, these, these blueprints and whatever, do we have a promise? The first port of call when God comes, he says, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. You're doing all that stuff. That's, I get it. But I've never asked for that. But I can give you a promise. Talks about making him a great name. Talks about cutting off all his enemies before him. Talks about, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel. And it says, I will cause you to rest from all your enemies. David was seated. The word there is Yashab. Y-A-S-H-A-B. Which means dwelling in a place of habitation. And at rest, where there's Nuach, N-U-W-A-C-H. And as a result, he inherited a promise of rest from his enemies. Okay? Remember, David was known as a man of war. And God says, I'm going to give you rest from your enemies. I'm going to put you and I'm going to give you the chance to inherit this place where you have a fullness of faith with regard to your interaction with your enemies. Do we really believe what Ephesians 2.6 says? We can bring that up real quick. Ephesians 2.6. And he raises us up together with him. And what does he make us do? Sit down. He made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him. Who's the him? Christ in the heavenly sphere 
by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. I remember when Elder Deji shared this at a mandate years ago, Pretzel. This is pre-pandemic. This is old school. <laughs> and never forget, he, he spoke about empty seats. How many empty seats are there in heaven because Christians are refusing to sit? They're building churches. They're launching ministries. They're doing every gig that comes in, but they're not seated. To be seated... Right? When David was seated in a, just dwelling in a place of habitation, to be seated in heavenly places is to match the posture of Christ. Because Christ is no longer standing. <laughs> to be seated is to match the posture of Christ. Because Christ is no longer standing. And there's a reason why He's no longer standing. Luke 4, 20 to 21. We're going to do a bit of scripture surfing. Luke 4, 20 to 21. He goes, so Jesus now, he's, he's opened up the book in the synagogue and he reads, right, from Isaiah. And then he says, then he, says here, then he rolled up the book and gave it back to the attendant and did what? Sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were gazing attentively at him. Verse 21. And he began to speak to them. Today this scripture has been fulfilled while you are present and hearing. Now, for those of you who know, in the synagogue there was only one chair. And the one chair was reserved for the Messiah. So Jesus opens up the scroll, reads about himself, closes it, is done. He just sits. And can you imagine the shock hot? What did he say? All eyes were attentive. Because <laughs> even if Caiaphas had shown up, he wouldn't have sat in that seat. Only one who is worthy can sit in that seat. So Jesus, he, he says, all this has been fulfilled. And then he sits. And by doing that, he was telling them that thousands of years of biblical prophecy has been fulfilled and has come to pass right now. What is that? That's the leaning of the entire human personality and absolute trust and confidence. So it's, I'm going to sit. This was before the cross. This is before the empty tomb. It is, it is to come and it is now. So I can, because I know who I am, Christ, and I know what's happened before the foundation of the world, and I know what's about to happen in three and a half years, I'm going to sit. That's it, man. That's it. I'm done. Job finished. Job done. So now you're praying, and the issue is, when you're praying, are you standing or are you sitting? Not just are you standing, but when you have finished praying, what is your posture in the heavenly realms? Because a slave would say, Lord, I need provision, and start pacing around waiting. A son says, Lord, I need provision, and goes, where's my seat? And I'll wait for the table that's prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. 
Do you understand? A slave says, Lord, where's my healing? And starts going on Google and trying to find every single cure from Western Africa to you know, Seattle to Singapore and is in, in a frenzied mode and going, yeah, but this pain is so much, I can't take it, I can't go to work. And he did blah, 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 blah. A son sits and waits. And if the Lord says do a Google search, you do it. And if he says don't, don't. I've had some people come up to me very well-intentioned. Oh, have you thought about this? And they give me all these cures for migraines. And the Holy Spirit says, don't do it. Don't waste your money. There's one person, I'm not going to say what the thing is that they said, because one of you might want to come up to me. <laughs> and, and the thing is, you know what the thing is? It may not have been right in March when they told me, but next year in January it might be. Or for someone else it might be. One of them said to me, they sent me a text, they were like, oh, I just heard about your migraines. My friend used this, and they did this, and this, and it, was, and it helped. I said, okay, thank you. And then, as, and they sent me a link, go on this, Amazon, next day delivery, all this stuff. And as soon as I was about to click the link, the Lord said, don't do it, it's not for you. I'm like, cool. Why? Because I'm seated. I'm at rest. My faith is not in Amazon. My faith is not in whatever products processes systems. people systems principalities powers my faith goes beyond that my faith looks and says he's seated so I'm seated Hallelujah. if he's seated I'm seated if he's not stressed I'm not stressed if he's not threatened about this building I'm not going to fret about this building. If he's not fretting about a worship team which has gone from X amount of people for, to the number that we have now, I'm not going to fret about it. Mm. I was, but then I realised he was seated. So if he was seated and not, if he was pacing up and down, I'd be worried. And I would maybe want to pace because I'd be like, okay, let me match him, why? Because it's a copycat business. <laughs> and I like to do the things that I've seen the father do. Mm. I only do that which I see the father do. So if I saw him pacing, I would want to pace. But he says, no, look at me, I am seated. But lo and behold, there are so many empty seats because we're pacing around the front room waiting for him to come to us. Thank you. Waiting for him to deliver and make it manifest. And he said, it is finished. Sit down. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your promise, in your hearing. Sit down. That's what they say back home. Today is your day of salvation. Which day? Today. So if it was tomorrow, where would it be? Today. So in seven days' time when I'm praying, I've still got a migraine, I turn around and say, today is the day of my salvation. Why? Because he's seated. He sits because the work is done. That's the only reason why you'd sit down. Yeah. If there was still work to be done, you'd be up on your feet. But even at the beginning of his ministry, and he's, he's in and around the friends and family, seen him grow up, whatever. It's done. I'm here. The Messiah you've been waiting for is here, right? Walking on the street. I'm sitting down. And you can too.
So let us labor that we may enter into his rest. Because we've, we've had the war. We've been battling for however many years. And the Lord is saying, I want you to not inherit peace. I want you to inherit rest. And to do that, you have to sit down. Because like it said, David was seated and the Lord gave him rest. David was only seated because he knew it had been done. And he had the revelation of the promise of God. He had the revelation of the goodness of God that he knew. It's fine. I have enemies around me. I have issues. My family's broken. Abinadab has been a bit of an annoyance. You know, yeah, there was issues in David's life. And he said, and he sat down because it was done. Hebrews 10, 12, 13, there's still more on the seated thing. Amen. Right, this is talk about Jesus. Whereas this one Christ, after he had offered a single sacrifice for our sins, that shall avail for all time. What did he do? Sat down at the right hand of God. Uh, verse 13. Then to, what did he do? Wait. Wait until all his enemies should be made a stool beneath his feet. Some of you sat down. You prayed and you sat. But then because it took a bit of time for <laughs> that situation to come in, you got up and you, you walked to the edge of heaven and you looked over and said is he doing it is he, is he gonna do it is he you got this you sure you sure and God is saying sit down sit yourself down we don't do that around here In my family we don't pace up and down anxious for things he says be not anxious for something this is what Jesus was in he was talking like do you know how we do things on our side be not anxious for tomorrow. Don't think about what you're going to eat, drink, whatever, where. Your Lord in heaven knows you have need of these things and he'll provide it so you can just sit down. Hmm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, Did you just believe on me. When, when he turned up, um, is it John 11, and Mary and Martha, they both individually come up to him. Martha's like, oh, if you'd been here, you know, you would be dead. To my Lazarus. If you'd been here, you wouldn't have been dead. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection in life. <laughs> she says, yes, I know. But <laughs> if you'd been here, Mary comes out and says, I think one of them says, yeah, I, I know the resurrection at the end, right? And she begins to, they begin to format his promise into something which is to come. And he's like, no, sit down. I am here. If I'm here, if I know he is dying and I didn't rush, because remember, the story says that he knew he was dying. And he waited. Because he, he was trying to show people that it's not about just rushing into every situation. It's not about just because you, you know, you know Jesus, if you'd been here, you, know, you can raise the dead. Come on. You should get here early then. He's showing you that the time scale is not set by death. The, the time scale for obtaining the bill is not set by a bank balance. You understand that, right? 
we don't have to wait until we have 2.5 million to inherit a 2.5 million building. You know that, right? I just wonder how quick your faith is because I'm, I'm throwing these things out there. I'm, I'm trying to work out what you can see. We could be in the building by December 25th. Good. Because I have absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom and goodness. His power, he's able to do it. In his wisdom, he can decide to do it next week. And in his goodness, I know he wants to do it. So I want to sit down. And every time I pray, I pray from a position of seated. And you know what the interesting thing? When you're seated in heavenly places at the right hand, all you've got to do is just... Thank you, God. It's just... So now where before I was standing, I'm looking at the situation, I'm going... Go, 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 go. Now I just go... Thank you, God. All right, we're still sitting. We're still seated. And the only reason why you sit is because it's done. Because the first time you sat, it was because it was fulfilled. And then when you sat here, because it had already been done... He said, once he had done it, he sat down. So the indication is that Jesus only sits when the job is done. And there is no scripture where you see where he goes from his seated position into standing without then going back to seated. So where is he now? Seated on the throne. That tells me it is done. What is done? Everything. Pick something. Pick the biggest Goliath you can think of. It's done. Pick the biggest situation you can think of. It's done. Peace in the Middle East? Done. Deliverance of that family member? It's done. Deliverance from oppression? It's done. Freedom from mental anxiety and mental health issues? Every Christmas trauma because I lost my uncle and this happened or this person touched me inappropriately when I was young and I have these triggers every time I get around my family again? It is done. Because he's seated. And he took all of that junk. He took it to the cross. And you know the best thing about it? He left it there. That old rugged cross. The scripture says that he nailed every transgression. He nailed the record, the ordinance of writing, I believe the King James says. The ordinance of writing that was written against us. He nailed it to the cross and made a bold and public display in his, in his, in his triumph over them. Every single medal and trophy that the enemy had has been stripped from him and has been placed on that cross. And he says, sit down. There's a correlation here between this posture of being seated. And if you notice, every single scripture we've read about seated talks about enemies. There's a correlation between being seated and the overcoming of enemies. So if you're still wondering why the enemy hasn't been overcome yet, maybe it's because you're not seated. Maybe because as a church, we're still pacing up and down the living room going, where's this building? Where's this building? Where's this building? As opposed to sitting down and going, thank you, Lord, for our building. Because we're in absolute trust and confidence. Every single thing that we need. I remember I was was praying about it and... All of a sudden, I thought about how much money it's going to take, not just to get the building, but to furnish it. Because I, I want a new keyboard. So I need this. I need. I was just looking at the worst thing. The budget was tripling. Every every year, some security. We need this. Maybe some new communion cards. Jenny, I don't know what we need. Jimmy, like all these things. I'm like, hey, Lord, this bill is going up and up. 
and he said to me, there are benefactors on the way. I said, what? He said, I said, okay, cool, all right. Because when he said those words, I realized that he was seated, he wasn't worried. He said, oh yeah, yeah, I've got people on the way. I said, I'm about to text pastor. I said, by the way, the Lord said there were benefactors on the way to furnish the building. So when we show up in that building, and you see there's a few cobwebs and there's this and that, and maybe I still got the same keyboard, and you're waiting for me to get the new one, and you're saying, yeah, but I thought we ain't got no money in the kitty, I'm saying there were benefactors on the way. And maybe it may take six weeks, maybe it may take six months, doesn't matter, there were benefactors on the way. There was someone in the world right now, they're alive now. They're alive now. And money has been wired into their account. Either now, maybe they have it, maybe they've been saving it for 20 years. And the Lord said to them, I will tell you what to do with this. And they show up in 2024. And the Lord says, there was a church in X location. I want you to walk into that church and give them a check for. There's a whole story being woven. And you know what the funny thing is? If the Lord has given us the bill, we're saving it yet. Or maybe it was at half. But the Lord needs it to get to a certain figure because he knows how much that light bill is going to be. We don't. He does. So sit down. There's this correlation between being seated and the overcoming of enemies. David was seated and he was at rest. New watch. That's the rest that is given by God. Second Samuel 11. And I think this is the last little bit. Second Samuel 11 verse 1. In the spring, when kings go forth to battle, David sent Joab with his servants and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites' country and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Verse 2. One evening, David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, where from then, when from there he saw a woman bathing, she was very lovely to behold. But I'm going to read the rest of the story. Verse 2. Go back to verse 2. He arose from his couch. What position was he in? He was resting. So hold on. Because this, this now gives us a bit of an issue. Because we've just spent the past 45 minutes talking about the importance of rest. And we're very excited at the moment. We believe in God to inherit this rest from which we're delivered from all enemies. And we know how this story ends. David gets up from rest. And he ends up in sin. It's interesting because it's a different rest. The word here is mishkab. And this is a self-appointed position of rest. So in 2 Samuel 7, he's in the God-appointed rest and he's delivered from all his enemies and he has a promise that is even to a thousand generations. In 2 Samuel 11, he's in his own rest. And out of that, we know what happens. The challenge for us is to ensure that we're not sleeping on the job. Rest doesn't mean sleep. No, it's he arose from his couch, says he got up from his sleep in one translation. Rest doesn't mean sleep. Damon Thompson puts it this way. Rest, just like prosperity, must be rescued from our narcissistic Western paradigms of self-indulgence. It's a pretty strong statement. I'm going to say it one more time. Rest, just like prosperity, must be rescued from our narcissistic Western paradigms of self-indulgence. 
When the preacher says prosperity, we think greed. But when the Bible says prosperity, it means prosperity. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper even as your soul prospers. It says it twice in there just in case you didn't catch it the first time. When the scripture says rest, it's not talking about indulging yourself and just sleeping on the job. No, there are still things to do. Because if you notice, even from 2 Samuel 7, even though he'd overcome his enemies, even though he'd given him respite from his enemies, there were still wars to be fought. But he didn't fight them from the position of just a warrior. He fought them from the position of rest. I have full confidence that the word of God that has been spoken to me has come to pass. So now when I swing my sword, I know I've got the victory. David left his, his palace every single time knowing that he had already won mm. and then one time he's in his palace and he gives himself rest and he ends up in sin it is possible to leave a moment of war enter peace and not necessarily have rest we saw that from the Israelites it is also possible to have your own self-appointed rest where you take it upon yourself to leave your duty and therefore we end up in sin so the question is what rest are we in the God appointed new arch or the self appointed mishkab one is a state of being the other is an act of doing scripture says David was seated and God gave him rest it was a state of being this says that he arose from his couch and whatever because he had gone to rest himself. There's a difference between a state of being, which I inherit through faith, and an act of doing when I'm trying to act a certain way. One leads to the promises of God being inherited. The other leads to carnal sin and death. The Lord said to me various things about this new moment. We must think different in order to build different. The blueprint is not the blueprint we had for the last building that we had. Okay, there may be similarities, but the underlying blueprint, we must think different in order to build different. That's challenging me with the worship team. Funny enough, just before we went into the pandemic, I think it was just before, I wrote this whole document about um, like processes in the worship team. Because I hadn't done it yet, it was obviously 2019, so I'd only been in charge maybe for a year or whatever. And I had this whole document. It had stuff like bringing in, you know, raising funds, maybe our aims, visions. It had stuff about recruiting new members. How do we recruit? Here's our process. There was a whole process and it involved this person, that person. Everyone on that list is no longer part of the church. <laughs> but the Lord told me to write it. So I wrote it. But I'm not going to use it. Ever. I never had to because we've not had a new member since. So why did he tell me to write it? I don't know. I don't really care. I'm seated. I don't need to know all the... Okay, I wrote it then. But actually now, I was talking about the other day, like, okay, Lord, what do I do? Because everyone who was involved in that process of onboarding a new member, they're no longer a part of the church. So do you want me to keep that? He said, no, change it. Here's how I want you to approach bringing in new members. That's completely different to what you said four years ago. Yes, so will you trust me? And then I realised maybe he had me write that back then so that when I got to this point, I would 
notice a difference and be faced with that moment where I have to learn to trust it. Because if it was always the same, then I'd just fall back on what I'd already written. And my confidence would be in 2019's word and I'd be walking into a new building in 2024 with 2019's methodology. But God is saying, here, here's a new wineskin. Because over the past four years, I've taken you on a journey of community and unity and togetherness. So now, instead of appointing X, Y, Z to onboard new members, the way you're going to do it is through community and unity. I'm not going to give away what the methodology is, but... The new way is more indicative of where this church is at now than where it was four years ago. It's a DNA thing. Our DNA is slightly different, so we must build different. We, we can't build the same way we did. Like I said, there may be parallels and similarities or whatever. Service may start at the same time, but it's different. We may have the same names for our um, divisions and, and departments or whatever. But it's different. What does shield look like in the new building? We know what it looked like back then. But what does it look like there? What's children's ministry look like there? Hmm. I wonder. Father gave us a new blueprint. He said, do not forget, I mentioned this on Wednesday, do not forget the purity of today. And what he meant by that is that we are now of the same mind and same accord and what that means is purity. If we were to see each other as, as beakers and vessels, okay, if we had five vessels out of the 30 or whatever that were different or maybe hadn't been washed out, let's say, when the Lord pours the water of the Spirit into these vessels, there's some impurities. And you know what the funny thing is? Sometimes you don't realize the impurities are there until you've digested. It goes through your system and then you get sick months later so he said I've washed all these impurities away so there is a purity in this house so that when he pours out his spirit and the anointing for the next we're not going to get sick and bloated five years down the line because there is a purity and we must preserve the purity I don't know how we're going to do discipleship I'm not know how we're going to do new members um onboarding it and bringing them into the congregation but there was something to be said about the fact that we all went through a process of letting go of condemnation so I would suggest that the next person that comes in you want to be a member of this church let me talk to you about how to live free from condemnation mm -hmm. oh so what do you mean Dave so you're going to be doing sessions on the cheap no 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 not me no no it might be Victor Victor knows Victor's got the message Victor lived through it he was in that moment he's free from condemnation Victor can be the hands and feet Victim can be the voice. Oh no, but it, it has to be an out. No, it doesn't have to be. It might be this way. It might be that way. As long as we do what he says, purity remains. And let us not become so obsessed with our wartime posture that we forget how to inhabit the realm of faith-filled rest. Guys, we have fought long and hard. Fought long and hard but don't become so obsessed with the fight that you don't know how to receive the harvest. You have to be able to know when to shift, and we are in this shift now. Like I said, whether it's three months or three years or 30 years, I don't know. But I just, I felt it, literally, I remember I was sitting right there and pastor said what he said, and then Elder Diddy began to pray, and I closed my eyes, and, I, and literally the Lord said to me, David, rest. 
And I was like, and he said, beat your sword into plowshares. What? And he said, after war is rest. And I remember my head flicked up. And he said, share that in two weeks. After war is rest. It's not necessarily peace. We will have peace. We will have, we won't have to set up at X o'clock in the morning. So there will be a peace. Jonathan can finally have some sleep. <laughs> He's been waiting for three years. <laughs> Jonathan's gonna turn up at 11.29, boy. It's like, hey, everything on? Cool. <laughs> Right? No more heavy lifting. No more. You will be in a position where you feel like, ah, oh, we're at peace. But don't let the physical peace make us feel like we're actually in rest. Because rest is defined by trust and faith. And this is what the Israelites missed. And every time the message of good news is preached to them, they don't mix it with faith and therefore don't enter into his rest. We collectively... We've collectively shed off condemnation. Sorry, let me give you a bit of context. I believe we've finally found rest. Why do I believe this? And this is what the Lord said to me. I believe this because of the following. We've collectively shed off condemnation and accepted the unfiltered love of God. And remember, faith, is it faith worker by love? It says, love is the context in which your faith is expressed. Yeah, love is the, con- the canvas upon which faith can draw. Pictures of the new. I'm going to put that in a song one day. Because if you think about it, love teaches me that he is good. That gives me something to believe in. When he says that I'm going to deliver you, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to do that, whatever. If I don't have the revelation of his love, then I've just got this, I I think he can, I think he can, I think he can. But I have to have the revelation of his goodness and then it goes, (coughs) boom, it connects. Faith worketh by love. Yeah? Yeah? So because we've had this revelation about the love of God and the unfiltered love of God and it's freed us from condemnation, I believe we're now finally able to step into rest. And then this is what the Lord said to me and this, ah, it made me feel so good. He said, you have not allowed your song to be stifled. Psalm 137, when they're in captivity, um, actually, let's quickly go there. Trying to keep my time under three hours. (laughs) Psalm 137, verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we captives sat down. Yes, we wept when we earnestly remember Zion, the city of God imprinted on our hearts. On the willow trees in the midst of Babylon, we hung our hearts. For there they were, they they who led us captive required of us a song with words, and our tormentors. And they who wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And their response is this in verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? The Lord said to me, You have not allowed your song to be stifled. In your captivity, right? In your moment of transition, when you have not had a home, when you've not had a dwelling place, You've been ripped away from it. It was stolen from you. It was taken from you, whichever way you want to put it. And all of a sudden, you're now in transit. You're in your Babylon. And you're remembering Zion. You're remembering, let's be honest, one Mayfair. 
And you're going, oh, that was a building. Oh, I wish I made more of it. I wish I went to that midweek service. I wish I stuck around for evening service on the soaking session. Do you remember soaking sessions? Yeah. Do you remember this? Do you remember Cindy Jacobs came? Do you remember when Vic Joyner came? Do you remember? We haven't had a visit from a general in a while. Oh, do you remember Chosen? Do you remember praying amongst the bales? The night watchman? Do you remember some of the healings we saw? And it'd be very easy to have that mentality and then look at our harps and say, we couldn't do it. We couldn't possibly sing of joy and hope and his deliverance when we're in the midst of all this. And we have written more songs in the past two, three years than we ever wrote before. And we sing them every week. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I will not be afraid. Every time I hear the lyrics, that's in, and there's so many other songs, but just that one song, obviously it's out there now. We did not allow our song to be stifled. And you know what? It would be very easy for us to have the testimony that we waited for us to get a building again before we built a studio, before we released a song. But for, for the rest of our lives, it doesn't matter whatever studio album we do, live at... Um, live at Royal Albert Hall, Commonwealth, live at Royal Albert Hall with a full orchestra doing refuge, you know, strings and harps and whatever. All that's great. But the Lord wants there to be a memory that the first song we released was when we were still in captivity, when we were still in our transit stage. Before we inherited that which we knew we were going to inherit, we didn't allow our song to be stifled. And the final thing the Lord said to me was that our language is one. You can speak to anyone in the congregation and we're speaking the same language. Using the same revelation where we all have our different interpretation of it, but we're all committed to this love. And we're committed to grace, we're committed to freedom from condemnation. We're committed to faith. Someone in our midst talks about sickness or they get a diagnosis. Immediately you hear someone from the other side of the congregation say, I'll pray for you because I believe that this will be lifted. There is no confusion amongst us. And I'm not saying there was before, I'm just saying that right now our language is one. There is a synergy. There is a symphony. Has anyone ever been to a classical concert, a classical music concert? Anyone get there early, hear them warming up or tuning? Or sometimes you hear on a Sunday, Sarah will come in with her flute and she'll say, Dave, give me an A. And I'll play an A. And then she would play an A and she would listen to make sure that what she's playing is in what we call concert with what I'm playing. The Lord has asked everyone to pick up their flute and over time, everyone has made sure they're in concert. So now Victor's in concert with David and David's in concert with Mark and Martin's in concert with Ken and Ken's in concert with Denise, he's in concert with Abby, he's in concert with Margaret. And so instead of hearing five different notes, you hear one. But it's not just one. 
as one to the power of five. See, before it was one separate note to another note, which was separate to another. Now we have the same note to the power of five. The mathematicians in the room will realize that's the greatest multiplier you can have is to the power. So we don't have separate sounds being created and released from this church anymore. The bowl of incense which goes before the Lord every Sunday and every, throughout every day from this church has the same smell. And the Lord is pleased with it. And says, now I'm ready to move you into your new. But before it happens, you must commit yourself to being in a place of rest where you lean your entire human personality in absolute trust and confidence in my power, my wisdom, and my goodness. Father, we receive now your rest. <clears throat> Let it be, Father God, that none of us are standing anymore, that we all sit at the place that's been reserved for us, in heavenly places. We sit and wait for our enemies to be made our footstool. We sit and wait for sickness to be made our footstool, for financial insecurity to be made our footstool, for anxiety and mental health issues to be made our footstool, for abuse to be made our footstool, for trauma to be made our footstool. We sit and we wait and we inherit the promises of God. If you be seated, why not us? If you don't worry, then why, why should we worry? Why should we fear of what may come? Safe in the healing arms of God. Yes, begin to pray. Thank you, Father. There's a song we we sung here a few years ago that we wrote. And it says, Jesus stands before me with his open arms, inviting me to rest. I stand, my faith secure. I know I'll never see his promise unfulfilled. Jesus knows exactly every trial I face. He offers me salvation in exchange for faith. Nothing I could do could ever win the war. So stop, breathe, and rest assured. Jesus offers love in exchange for fear. At the gates of hell, I know he's always near. I belong to him, and he believes in me. In my darkest hour, that is all I need. Father, the song has gone out even before the word. And the song will not be stifled, neither will your word. Your word shall grow and produce a harvest in our lives. 
<coughs> sorry, and we harvest this word, <coughs> harvest the promises of God. Every single one of them. So, Father, we turn our attention forward, face forward from our place, seated at the right hand of the Father. And we rest, leaning everything, our entire personality and absolute trust and confidence. In your goodness, your wisdom, and in your power. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. The Lord told me to share this. I didn't know how it was going to fit, but now it makes sense. Um, I, I shared this at a church last week. I've got into the habit of writing my own psalms. Not necessarily writing them down, but like when I pray, I pray almost in the style of a psalm. Now, what does that mean? And it, it, Why do I do it? I, it? I do it because it helps fix my eyes on Christ and his goodness, his power, his power wisdom and goodness. You cannot pray a psalm out and not be obsessed with his obsession. Mm-hmm. The Lord God of Israel. Mm-hmm. Blessed be the one who delivered me from all my enemies. Mm-hmm. His name will be exalted. His hands are forever around me. Mm-hmm. And I run to him daily where I find my refuge. Blessed be the Lord. Mm-hmm. Let every nation tell the tales of his goodness. Mm-hmm. Forever and ever I will remember how good he's been to me. You do that for a couple of minutes, just two minutes, and you're immediately in a different place. Mm-hmm. I share that because the Lord just pricked my heart to say that someone here is saying, this is great for now, but I don't know how I'm going to do this tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. The way I feel, I'm trying to carry this into tomorrow. There's enough manner for tomorrow. There's enough manner for Tuesday. Just learn to just literally just speak his goodness. And you will find yourself back here at the place of provision. You'll find yourself back here at the place of absolute trust and confidence. Imagine day two when the manna was provided. They just had manna provided in the middle of nowhere. It shows up on the ground and they collect it and they eat and they're satisfied. But imagine day two. Because you've got to wake up next morning and think it's going to happen again. And it did. <coughs> Blessed be the one who sustains me, who, up- who upholds me with his right hand. Blessed be his name. From sea to sea we call him Elohim. El Shaddai, the many-breasted one who has provided every single need. Come, let us go to the house of the Lord and exalt him. Let us worship his holy name. Let us sing praises from morning to dusk and await his arrival at the break of dawn. See how beautiful he is, O Israel. See how beautiful he is, sons and daughters of Zion. See how radiant he is in his glory, in his power and in his goodness. Blessed be his name. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. 
For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 